Section 81 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 81 How the News Was Told. Lord Linley rushed from the room like one mad. He was utterly lost. That his beautiful daughter, who was to have been married that day, lay there murdered and dead, was an idea too terrible to contemplate. He fled from the place, but he could not fly from reality. How in heaven's name was he to confront the mother of this unhappy girl? How was he to tell her lover? What was he to do? For once the courage of the Studleys, oh, fatal boast, failed him. He sank down on the last step of that fatal staircase, white, sick, trembling, and unmanned. What shall I do? he moaned to himself. Oh, heaven, what shall I do? It must be told. There was no time to lose. Even now he could hear a hurried murmur, as of expectation and fear. When he rose to return, his limbs trembled like those of a little child. He was compelled to clutch the iron rail and the boughs of the trees for support. It was not sorrow. He had not realized yet that it was his daughter, his only child, who lay dead. He was simply stunned with horror. The dead face, the crimson-stained hair, the bare white breast with its terrible wound, the sun shining over the ghastly scene. The hall door was open as he had left it, and he saw the servants hurrying on their different affairs. No murmur of dread had reached them. There was to be a wedding and on the strength of it they had each of them received a handsome present. Their faces were all smiles, but one or two, passing along, looked aghast at the master of that superb mansion with his white face and horror-stricken eyes came in. The library was the nearest room at hand. He went in. "'Tell Miss Brace I want to see her directly,' he said. And in a few minutes Mattie stood trembling before him. There is something the matter, she said in a low voice, and Lord Linley, you are afraid to tell me what it is. He could only hold out his hands toward her with a trembling cry. Oh, great heaven, how shall I tell her? She knelt down by his side and held both his hands in hers. She felt that he was trembling. The strong figure was almost falling. Tell me, she cried calmly. I am strong. You can trust me. I will help you all I can. The good kindly face grew almost beautiful in its look of high patient resolve He raised his haggard eyes to her face Mattie he said in a low hoarse voice Doris is dead She grew very pale, but no word passed her lips. She saw that so much would depend on her She must not lose her self-control for one minute Doris is dead he repeated and that is not all she has been foully, terribly murdered, and she was to have been married today. She was quite silent for some minutes, trying to realize the meaning of his words, and then her old prayer stole to her lips. We must try to spare Earl, she said. Heaven save Earl. Lord Linley caught hold of her. Mattie, he said in a low, gasping voice, quite unlike his own, I have not realized yet that it is my child, Doris. I can only understand a murder has been done. Have I lost my reason? No, you must be brave, she said. Think of Lady Linley. Such a blow is enough to kill her. 
His head fell on his hands with a low moan. You do not know. You do not know all, he said. Just at that moment they heard the voice of Lady Estelle in the hall. He started up, everything forgotten except the wife he loved so dearly, the mother whose child lay dead. Do one thing for me, Mattie, he gasped. Go to her, on some pretext or other. Take her to her own room. She must not see. She must not know. Keep her there. I must tell Earl. Mattie hastened to obey him. Lady Estelle was speaking to one of the servants in the hall. Mattie, she said, I do not understand this delay. If someone does not hurry matters a little, we shall have no wedding today. Then the girl's anxious face and pale lips struck her. Surely, she said, there is nothing wrong. Has Doris changed her mind? No, dear Lady Linley, she's not quite well, and probably there will be no wedding today. I want you to come with me to your own room. I want to talk to you. I shall go to Doris, said the Countess. If she is not well, my place is with her. But Mattie caught her hands, and the Countess, always yielding, went with her. Is she really ill, Mattie? Is it some terrible fever, some terrible plague? Never mind. I will go and kiss it from her lips. I must be with her. The poor lady wrung her hands in a paroxysm of despair. Her face quivered with grief. Mattie tried all that was possible to console her. What could she do? It was the heartbroken cry of a mother for a child, but she could not tell. We must be patient, dear lady, she said, and wait until Lord Linley sends or comes. She persuaded the countess to lie on the couch. She complied, trembling and weeping. You must be hiding something from me, she said. She was to have been married this morning. Oh, Mattie, tell me what it is. Mattie Brace passed through many hours of sorrow and sadness but none so dark as that which she spent shut up with Lady Linley. She could hear the sound of hurried footsteps. Once or twice she heard a cry of fear or dismay. She heard the rapid galloping of horses, and she knew that they were in search of the doer of the deed. And yet all that time she had to sit with assumed calm by the side of Lady Estelle. No one came near them. The silence of death seemed to reign over that part of the house, while from Maddie's heart, if not from her lips, went every minute the prayer, Heaven save Earl. What had passed was like a terrible dream to all those who shared in it. Lord Linley had gone in search of Earl. He found him busied in his preparations, happy and light of heart, as he was never to be again. He turned with a musical laugh to the Earl. We have just ten minutes, he said. I hope Doris is ready. Then the smile died on his lips for he caught one glimpse of the white face and terrified eyes. With one bound he had cleared the distance between them, and stood impatiently clutching Lord Linley's arm. "'What is that in your face?' he cried. "'What is it? What is the matter?' "'Heaven help you, my poor boy,' said the Earl in a broken voice. "'It would seem better to take away your life at once than to tell you what I have to tell.' "'Doris is ill? She—no, she cannot have changed her mind again. She cannot have gone away.' You will not be married today, said the Earl sadly, my poor Earl. I cannot believe it, he cried. Is heaven so cruel? Would God let that sun shine, those birds sing, those sweet flowers bloom? Yes, kill me, slay me, take my love away. I will not believe it. Hush, said the Earl, laying his hand on the quivering lips. Hush, my poor Earl. Whatever happens, we must not rail against heaven. It's not heaven, he cried, I tell you. God would not do it. He would not take my darling from me. 
You're afraid to say what has happened. I know she's gone away and left me as she did before. Oh, my love, my love, you shall not cheat me. I'll follow you over the wide world. I'll find you and love you and make you my own. Oh, speak to me for mercy's sake. Speak, has she gone? My dear Earl, I do not know how to tell you. Words seem to fail me. Try to bear it like a man, though it's hard to bear. Doris is dead. He saw the young lover's face grow gray, as with the pallor of death. Dead? he repeated slowly. Dead? Yes, but that is not all. She has been—you must bear it bravely. Earl, she has been cruelly murdered. He repeated the word with the air of one who did not thoroughly understand. Murdered? Doris? You cannot be speaking earnestly. Who could? Who would murder her? Lord Linley saw that he must give him time to realize, to understand, and they both sat in silence for some minutes, that ghastly gray pallor deepening on the young lover's face. Suddenly the true meaning of the words occurred to him, and he buried his face in his hands with a cry that Lord Linley never forgot. And so they remained for some time, and then Lord Linley touched him gently. Earl, he said, you have all your life to grieve in. We have two things to do now. The white lips did not move, but the haggard eyes seemed to ask, What? We have to bury her and avenge her. We have to find out who murdered her while we slept so near. The word murder seemed to come home to him then in its full significance. His face flushed. A flame of fire came into his eyes. He clutched the Earl's hand as with an iron grasp. I was bewildered he said. I did not really understand. Do you mean that someone has killed Doris? Yes. She lies in her own room there, with a knife in her white breast. Listen, Earl, I have my own theory, my own idea. I was always most uncomfortable about that staircase. The door opens right into her room. I have so often begged of her to be sure and keep it locked. I fancy that by some oversight the door was left open, and someone— intent on stealing her jewelry perhaps made his way to her room she was no coward she would try to save it she would perhaps defy and exasperate the burglar and he in sudden fury stabbed her and then frightened at his own deed he hastened away there are signs of a struggle in the room but i cannot say if there is anything missing i must go to her said earl nay replied lord linley gently the sight will kill you then let me die I have nothing to live for now. Oh, my darling, my dear lost love. He knelt down on the ground, sobbing like a child. Lord Linley stole away gently, leaving him there. In another five minutes the whole household was aroused, and the dismay, the fear, the consternation could never be told in words. The servants at first seemed inclined to lose themselves, to wander backwards and forwards without aim, weeping, wringing their hands, crying out to each other that their lady had been murdered while they slept. But Lord Linley pointed out forcibly that someone must have done the deed, and it behooved them to search before the murderer could make good his escape. No one was to enter the room until the detectives had arrived, and men were to mount the fleetest horses to gallop over to Anderley and bring the police officers back with them. Then, when all directions were given, he went back to Earl. He was no coward, but he could not yet face the wife, whose only child lay dead. Earl was waiting for him. 
terrible as the moment was he could not help noticing the awful change that had come over that young face the youth and the brightness had all died from it it was haggard and restless and he looked up as the earl entered the room lord linley he said and every trace of music had died from his voice it was no fancy of mine last night that sound i heard last night was from doris it was her smothered cry for help perhaps her last sound oh heaven if i had but flown when i heard it flown to her aid yet i did not go i went to the very door of her room and all was perfect silence let me go to her do not be hard upon me i must look upon the face of my love again so you shall but not yet lord linley shuddered i would to heaven that i had never seen the terrible sight he said but you earl believe me you could not see it and live end of section 81